This is Mental Health in You with WCPA. We're your hosts, Taylor Kennedy, Caitlin Schaefer, and Jacqueline Simplecamp. Our podcast covers mental health topics for you. From us, licensed mental health professionals. Let's get to this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Mental Health in You. We're so excited to have you with us today for this Ask the Therapist episode. This week, a listener asked a great question. What can you expect when you go to therapy? I feel like this is something we kind of talked about last episode too, but sometimes a lot of the hesitancy um, or fear of seeking out professional help is rooted in that unknown. Um, I'm really hoping that through addressing this topic, we can normalize seeking professional help and pouring into your mental health or at least provide some form of insight um, into what therapy truly is like. So let's just sum it up casually. Therapy is a safe place to go to have your event sessions, breakdowns, to talk freely, learn to love yourself, work through hardships, and most importantly, therapy is where you go to grow. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I think this is such an important topic because even though it's 2021, I still feel like going to therapy can be such a taboo topic. And because it's kind of taboo, it's probably hard for some people to know what to expect if they haven't tried it before. So I really believe that unknown is kind of what causes people to not seek out therapy. I don't know what you guys think, but I've kind of found that that's what makes people hesitant sometimes. No, I I think you're definitely right. I think that is true. Like a lot of people don't enjoy the unknown. Like that's just life in general, whether we're talking about therapy or anything. I think it's true for a lot of people. So then especially when clients, you know, they come in for their first appointment and they don't know what to expect at all. It can be, can be, you know, scary. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've really heard that too, Taylor. Like at the end of the session, I'll say, Hey, how did today go for you? Was it what you expected? And they'll kind of say, no, like I was really nervous for it. And it was a lot more relaxed than I thought it would be. Yes. And I think that therapy is just something that isn't very public. Like you guys said, people don't really know what to expect because when we see therapy in the media, we see the client laying on the couch and the therapist asks that stereotypical question, how do you feel type thing? <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it feels really cheesy and impersonal. Yeah. It's every time I see that, I'm like, oh goodness. <laughs> I, But yeah, I think we've all seen that. So kind of going past, I guess, those media stereotypes, clients can actually expect in you know therapy to dive deeper. They can dive deeper into their past and their present as well as their future. And we do that by setting therapeutic goals. So it's important when starting therapy to kind of have like a general idea of the areas you really want to focus on with your therapist. So maybe doing some reflecting on your own a little bit beforehand. And then after you reach out to schedule an appointment, you'll likely be asked to fill out some paperwork. And then that paperwork will allow you a space to share some brief history, talk about any current concerns, and then give us some consent to work with you or your child or family member. Um, And then you'll go in to meet with your therapist for your first session. And the main chunk of the first session, at least for me, and I, th- I feel like this is typical for most mm-hmm. therapists, um, is really just gaining information. So going over that paperwork that you just mentioned, Caitlin, and you know, talking with the parent, if we are working with a minor, to kind of gain a more well-rounded idea of what's going on and 
then, you know, going over your current symptoms and how those symptoms are presenting and maybe that presenting problem. I also use the first session to kind of collect medical history because often I find that medical history um, and family history and their mental health definitely plays a role in the current um, situation or that presenting problem. And it's undeniable that a lot of mental health is genetic. So it can be extremely helpful as a therapist to know, you know, what is that family's medical history? What's their mental health history and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the other part of my first session is setting goals and expectations for sessions going forward, going over boundaries and kind of painting a picture of what future sessions are going to be like. But other than this, it's really just building rapport and Mm -hmm. forming the foundation or starting to form that foundation with my client. And I just like to spend time talking with them. Yeah, I think a lot of therapy is just talking, which can include sharing thoughts, feelings, ideas, those types of things. And it can also be sharing how we feel about ourselves, our families, the world. And I think just talking, it can be underrated sometimes. I think just talking and sharing how you feel can be very cathartic in itself. But I will say talking isn't for everyone. And so therapists sometimes have a certain approach that they'll use, or there's certain types of therapy that you can do. I'm not going to list them all because there's so many, but just a few examples. There's art therapy, play therapy, music therapy, therapy that can involve some sort of movement, things like that. And like I said, even if you're not involved with just seeing an art therapist, for example, your therapist that you're talking with may be able to incorporate techniques like that to help you express yourself in the best way that you can and help support your goals. Definitely. I use a lot of those kind of in my sessions, just on the side almost, right? Like as a supporting approach to talking. I think that's really important to have those those styles that you can add in. But I really take an individualized approach. So I try to meet the needs of each client and their presenting situation. So adding some of those other details of a little bit of a drawing or some music, those things can really help depending on the client and their needs. But aside from some of those things, Jacqueline, that you mentioned, I think we all probably also utilize some psychoeducation with our clients. And so that's something we typically do towards the beginning as well, I would assume. So psychoeducation basically helps our clients and their families become informed, right? Become educated on the mental health diagnosis or the symptoms or just those concerns that they're coming in with. And I really believe becoming more knowledgeable is so, so, so important in reaching your goals and just really understanding what's going on. I I think that's really true. Like, I do so much psychoeducation just to normalize and help mm-hmm. my client better understand themselves, right? Yes. Do y'all do that? Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I think it's so important to do that so that, well, I don't know. And maybe I'm wrong here, but hear me out. I feel like how can I expect my client to articulate to me how their presenting problem is rooted in something much larger if they don't even understand themselves. Mm -hmm. So providing them with the foundation of knowledge to begin understanding their symptoms, what they stem from, in turn helps me because then once they understand themselves, they can help me better understand them. Does that make sense? Yes. And I mean, I think about parents too, right? Like once parents kind of understand maybe what's going on with their child, 
they're so much more likely to be able to understand how to help them. Yeah. Or like your parent, your sibling, your significant other, if you understand what's going on um, and help them to better understand themselves, everyone wins. But I also feel like I incorporate so many approaches and like frameworks into my sessions, like you guys mentioned. And I really focus on empowering, normalizing, using that strength-based perspective, person-centered approach when supporting my clients. I think it's really important that I try to gain information on their presenting problem but also look at it in a much larger picture because often that presenting problem or those presenting symptoms are sensitive and hard to talk about. And there's a reason why. And presenting problem, I think, is a term that we use often in the clinical world. And a presenting problem is just, you know, why are you coming to therapy? What brings you here today? And a presenting problem could be a triggering event, a transition of some sort, a change in mood. It can be lots of things. So just think about you know, why are you coming to see a therapist? So there's a few different ways that we can support a person's presenting problem in therapy. Depending on what that problem is or what you're kind of wanting to address, it might be important to consider what kind of therapy to get into. So individual therapy is done one-on-one with a therapist. So this focuses on you as the individual and works to support your specific goals. There's another option of group therapy, and group therapy is a really great option for those seeking some peer support, Um, and those group therapy sessions are usually guided by a licensed professional, and they do have others there to kind of support that journey. There's also family therapy, which is one of my favorite things to do as a professional because our lives are really just so entwined with our family or our close loved ones that including them in that therapeutic process can lead to really effective results. And then there's also couples therapy and couples therapy is really best suited for couples who are just looking to kind of enhance their relationship. So whether a trust was broken or there's challenges communicating or just some disagreements in general, there's a lot of different things that people can come to us with, with relationships. So couples counseling can help guide that partnership towards their combined goals. Along with different forms of therapy like that, I'm sure you guys could assume that therapy for different age groups will look very different. So therapy for an adult will not look the same as it would for a five-year-old. I think with young children, it's good to note that we need parental involvement because children are not able to independently make changes for themselves at home. And so parents need to have contact with their child's therapist so that they can learn different parenting techniques and interventions and things like that. And also to It's good for the child to learn how to express their feelings and have an outlet through talking with their therapist independently as well. Yeah, I noticed that in my teenagers and young adults, Jacqueline, they really need that place for independence to just share. And I think having that space that is all theirs um, is really important. But if there are behavioral or relational problems at home or within their school or you know, extracurricular environments, whatever that might be, the parent being involved is really key. You know, that allows you to really get some wraparound support around that young adult or adolescent. And I like to think of it as a balance. So you have to find for that individual client what balance is right for them. How much do they need their family involved versus how much can they use their own self-determination and strength to, you know, make happen for themselves. Um, And this is going to be different for each client you see and what they're working on and their situation. Yeah. And I think an age group 
that is potentially confusing in the therapeutic process could be young adults because I've heard a few times parents will have an 18-year-old and say, where can I fit into this? How can I support my 18-year-old or college student and let them have their space, but also so that I can be in the know and help them too. Right. So the way we do that, I think it starts with an honest conversation because we still want to maintain that privacy between the client and the therapist, but also if there's a reason to involve the parents or others in that client's life, we're going to do that. That will require a release of information, which is just a permission form, essentially, giving us permission to speak to that parent or that member in the community with the client's consent. Adults have the opportunity to have more of a say in their experience. So many times adults come to therapy with a lot of life experience under their belt already. So we oftentimes have to kind of work through some of those more challenging parts of their life to set up that good foundation for their future and to work through their present stuff. It's also important to acknowledge the aging population. So the elderly clients, many times they're encouraged to seek counseling by someone else, whether it's a doctor or one of their children or a caregiver who maybe recognizes some changes or concerns with their mental health. Many times the elderly, they're facing kind of of end-of-life emotions that are really challenging to navigate, or maybe they're starting to want to um, identify some past trauma or history themselves. So I find myself working with multiple adults who are also caring for an aging loved one, so like those caregivers. And being a caregiver can just be so physically and emotionally and even sometimes financially draining. So I really want to emphasize that those caring for an elderly family member or a friend, they're an important population to consider here too, I think. You're you're absolutely right. And you know, Caitlin, I'm really glad that you point that out because I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if caregivers are always, I know that sounds terrible, I don't know if they're always thought about in terms of when you think about the impact they're duties as a caregiver, right? And the impact those duties have and how that can impact you mentally or physically. Because because whether you're dealing with an elderly individual, someone who's mentally handicapped or physically handicapped, caregiving is taxing, like in so many ways, like you mentioned. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just really happy you pointed that out. And that kind of leads into something else that I would like to mention. Many times other family members or guardians, caregivers are going to be part of someone's treatment process. This is especially true for me um, when working with children, but also more times than not, it's extremely beneficial for clients in general to have sessions with other close members in their family or those in their immediate circles, right? So Just for example, I have um, many clients who I work with individually, but then their spouse might join for a session, their sibling, significant other, parent, someone that they might be struggling with. And this allows them to have a space to work through some hard challenges, have hard conversations um, in situations that they were maybe unsuccessful and navigating independently at home. Yeah, as licensed mental health professionals, we're really able to provide that broader approach to supporting our clients. And just have it, like you said, Taylor, having someone come in, it can be someone that you're, you know, having a hard time with, or it could be someone who just is a support person to help gain more info on how to support you. That's so So true. it, It is really nice sometimes to bring that other person in just to support your process. 
many times clients are already have other individuals involved in supporting them, right? Besides even a family member or a loved one, a friend, there might be other doctors involved, whether that's a medical doctor, a psychiatrist. And so Jacqueline mentioned earlier about getting that release form signed. So if you would like for us to collaborate with other people in your life, again, whether that's a family member or another professional, we are able to do that. If you sign a form that gives us consent, you know, we follow all of those HIPAA guidelines to connect with other professionals. Um, Some people though would prefer to just work alone just with their therapist and not have us collaborate with someone else. And that's totally okay too. We are really just here to kind of meet our clients where they're at and do what they feel most comfortable with. Yeah. I think overall it's helpful to involve your therapist or your child's therapist with other professionals in the community. But again, like Caitlin said, if you're not comfortable with that, we don't have to go that route. So I think it can be a conversation and we can just go from there to see what the best approach is. With all this talk about involving others in your therapy process, um, the medical releases, HIPAA talk kind of reminds me of confidentiality, right? So no matter what type of counseling or therapy you might be getting involved with, confidentiality should be extremely important. So similarly to how your doctor is not allowed to share your healthcare information and treatment with others, neither are your therapists, right? So this does get tricky when it comes to clients who are technically minors, right? But want to be autonomous in their therapy journey. So I normally start off um, sessions when I'm managing these kinds of clients by saying, you know, this is your journey and how much you want your significant other, parent, whomever involved is completely up to you. So I let them know that I'm there to best serve them and my duty is to serve them as my client. But I do make it a point to point out how important it is to keep their private information private, but those informed around them that do need to know important things. And with that being said, there are limits to this, right? So if my client makes a statement of harm to themselves or someone else, I'm legally obligated to break that promise of confidentiality in order to protect them, their safety, right? And the safety of others as well. Yeah. Confidentiality is really important. It's something that obviously we take very seriously and are held to. And I think clients find um, some peace and comfort in that. And that's why we are that safe place. It's also probably important to note here though, that other professionals that counselors or therapists might work with maybe aren't legally or ethically held to those standards like we are. So for example, when I used to work in the schools, I would have some teachers come to me seeking information about a student, right? And many times it was because the child was really struggling in the class and they just wanted to know if there was something more going on that they need to be aware of or if there's anything they could do to help, which it really usually came out of a really good place. But more times than not, I wasn't really able to share the information that they wanted. Um, So that can sometimes be frustrating, right? If we're not able to share that, but overall, we tend to just bring it back to the behaviors, right? And the reasons that we're working with them and help the other professional come up with some ways to support the student or the client. Yeah, Caitlin, honestly, I love doing that because when one person struggles, the unit to some capacity is struggling, right? So We're here as therapists and as a support unit to help all of the moving parts, 
where we can, right? Within our area of expertise and with our professional knowledge, um, whatever moving part that might be within the unit, we want to try to help where we can because in the end, our client benefits. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, there are so many different aspects of therapy and things that go into therapy that there's no way we could possibly encompass all of it into this one podcast. But overall, I really hope that we shed some light into that unknown piece we started out talking about um, and gave you guys something to think about and more knowledge into what the therapy world is like. For sure. I think we've definitely shared a lot today about what to expect from going to therapy. And I think we can all agree that there's so much more to share too. There's just a lot of information that goes into it. And I don't think a lot of it is common knowledge. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. DM us at mentalhealthsandyou or email us at podcastwcpa at gmail.com. Taylor, let's tell our listeners what they have to look forward to next week. So next week, we will be discussing a topic that I am personally currently working on, but also have noticed is truly a recurring theme with my clients, um, and that is finding balance. Specifically, we're going to be talking about between work, school, and your social life. And I I feel like I say this about all of our topics, but I'm going to say it again anyways. <laughs> I love this topic. Balance is something I love learning more about. I think we all probably struggle with finding balance at different phases of our lives. You know, it's like riding a wave. But yes, we are so excited. Please join us next week as we discuss our suggestions on finding your balance. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk with y'all next week.